Again, it's great to see y'all this evening and get to see some that I don't get to see very often coming into town. Very good to have you with us. So Christmas morning is incredibly sweet to all of us. A parent looking at her child overwhelmed with delight is just filled with joy. And a child waking up on that morning with all that excitement and those gifts is really moved by the love her parents have for her. And I know you all have very cherished memories at Christmas time and are eagerly anticipating tomorrow morning. I want us to think about something along these lines that raises it even to a higher degree. The good news of the Old Testament doesn't make sense without the great mystery, without the grand miracle, without Christmas, without the incarnation of Jesus. It doesn't make sense until what Gabriel says to Mary comes to pass. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Doesn't make sense until John reflects for us and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, because Christmas is all about the unimaginable, the incomprehensible, really, that no one would have conceived that this would be the case. It's about our condition being so desperate that it would take none other than God himself to become one with us and one of us in order to rescue us from our sin. And the unfathomable is that God actually did it. That irreversible step of taking to himself our nature. Jeremiah 31, 20 that we're gonna look at is just a beautiful window into God's heart for you. And also the significance of Christmas and God's sentiment towards you at Christmas, and I owe it to Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, as well as several men's groups of our church, to bring to my mind the astonishing wonder of this book, uh, this verse, and really how it relates to Christmas. And you know Jeremiah's prophecy, and you've read it, or parts of it, and most of it is a really tough read. God's chosen people have been stuck in this obstinate and sordid sin for years. For example, we read in Jeremiah 1, I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Or chapter two, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Or four, for my people are foolish, they know me not, they are wise in doing evil. But how to do good they know not. 
Or chapter 9, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. And on and on, and you get the idea. They are entrenched in their anti-God frame of mind. And they've been like that for years. And essentially, Jeremiah speaks this way for 29 chapters, all the way to our passage, 29 chapters. But what's really disturbing is that what he says about Israel is not restricted to Israel. It actually reveals what goes on in our own hearts and minds too. And so what's God to do in Jeremiah? Well, for 29 chapters, God has stressed that they've provoked him to anger. He's not on the edge of his seat at the drop of a hat, ready to get angry, but over the years, year after year, they've provoked him to anger. So he's coming to judge them, and he's going to discipline them severely. But then you get to chapter 30. In chapters 30 through 33, the heart of the prophecy of Jeremiah, what many scholars call the book of consolation. Our passage is found right there, and the atmosphere drastically changes. You find that even though God is provoked to anger, that what's most central, fundamental, natural for God towards his people is love and mercy. Even in their sin, we can take it a step further, even because of their sin. And maybe the text that most sweetly expresses that truth is our verse tonight. And so our verse tonight, Jeremiah 31, 20, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? The question is meant to move you and to awaken you to the tenderness of God's heart towards you. Ephraim is a warm term of endearment for Israel. Dear son and darling child are affectionate ways of God to speak to his people. Again, the very same people who have sinned so much and for so long. God is the father who delighted in his son, in his daughter. It's the warm, tender, affectionate, joyful atmosphere of a, Christian, a Christmas morning as a parent looks at his or her child. And so do you think that God views you that way this evening in the midst of your sin and even because of your sin? Then he goes on to say, for as often as I have spoken against him and God's spoken against his son Israel a whole lot. In fact, 29 chapters worth of speaking against his son. He's exposed their sins, rebuked them for them, and pronounced his judgments upon them. I mean, he said a lot against them. However, then he immediately follows that up with, I do remember him still. 
And the idea isn't that I remember him and don't forget him. The idea is I remember him and will never forsake him. It's the language of relationship, of knowing, being known. It's the language of the covenant. I'm committed to him and I'm not going anywhere. It's a strong phrase in Hebrew literally saying, remembering I will remember. It's the most emphatic way of saying it. Even though God must come to judge them, he will never cast them off, but will always remain committed to them. And then Jeremiah comes to the reason for that. Why will God act this way towards such a sinful people? And that's the high point of the verse. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him. Literally, that phrase, my heart yearns, is his entrails, his intestines, his guts are churned up with longing for his son. It's the way you feel when you've experienced a loss or when you're worried, or when you're fearful, or when you miss someone, and it affects you viscerally in your chest and in your stomach, and God is saying, take that feeling and know that that's mine, raised to a higher degree that you cannot even imagine before you in your hurt and your loss and your need, and yes, even your sin. So because of that, I will surely have mercy on him. There's no doubt I'm going to surely have mercy. And again, it's the same strong Hebrew construction. Having mercy, I will have mercy as strong as it gets. The sense is God's yearning heart, his aching stomach is so turned towards you that even if you're drowning in the filth of your sin, 29 chapters deep, He keeps coming after you with mercy. He never cuts you loose and turns away. He knows the real you and he overflows with mercy. He knows you and overflows with mercy. But you see, you don't believe this because our biggest problem is that we fallen men and women, boys and girls just can't believe God's grace is so abundant and so rich. We think, or maybe we just feel, how can God be this good? I'm 29 chapters deep. I wouldn't have mercy on me. Surely he won't. So how can a holy and just God abound in such unwavering love toward us? And that's precisely the Christmas story. And that's why we celebrate it so much. It's staggering to us. The Christmas story is about God the Father's stomach so hurting for you and me in our sin that he sends his dear son his darling child, the one he loves the most, he sends him down into our 29 chapters deep sin, into our guilt and into our misery. He sends him down into the depths of it to be one with us in it and one of us in it. That the very son of God is born a baby a person of our fallen world. And so Jeremiah 31 becomes not just qualities of God toward us in our sin. Jeremiah 31 is fleshed out 
It becomes a living person for us in our sin. He's born in the midst of the fallout of the misery of our world. Unveiled at his birth is poverty and prejudice and violence. It's not an idyllic scene, but a realistic scene. And yet from the moment of his birth and throughout his growing up, he is God's grace and mercy incarnate in flesh and blood, living and breathing, walking in our fallen world. He lives a life of genuine love and perfect righteousness and does so for us. Yet at the cross, his own father speaks against him. He doesn't just speak 29 chapters against him. That would be bad enough, but he speaks far more against him. He speaks the accumulated total of all his people's sins against him at the cross. Because the baby born in the manger in Bethlehem is born precisely for this. We follow from the crib all the way to the cross. The father knows it when he sends him into it and the son agreed to it when he took human flesh on our behalf. God will speak his severest judgments against him, but not only that, he will enact his severest judgments against him. He will not remember him, and he will break covenant relationship with him, and he will forsake him. And he will do that to satisfy the sentence of our sins for us. And he will do that so that he will always remember you, and he will never forsake you, And he does so so that he will always have a yearning heart and a churning stomach towards you and overflow in mercy upon mercy towards you in the depth of your need and your sin and curse and wash you clean by mercy. The Christmas story is God the Son, the Father's dear Son and darling child beginning this amazing work for you so that you by faith in Christ, might become a dear son and a darling daughter. And that's a whole lot to do to give you that status. And so do you know that Savior this evening? And if you do, do you realize the depth of his delight and devotion for you And may you be filled with joy and gratitude for his indescribable gift. And this is God's heart towards you, and this is proved beyond a shadow of a doubt at Christmas Day. And God's people said, amen.